0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Uh, Go to commentarymagazine.com, as I often tell you, get get a few free reads, and then we ask you to subscribe. Uh, This is a good way to support the podcast that you're listening to, to support our institution, which is a nonprofit uh 501c3 i'm going to be talking to you later in the month about how you might want to think about us in your end of year charitable giving and help us to keep doing what we're doing here uh joining me as always executive editor abe greenwald hi abe hi john senior writer christine rosen hi christine hi john and associate editor noah rothman hi noah hi john and joining us today, it is a thrill, my very old friend, first time appearing in commentary in the December 2020 issue. We're going to talk about this. The best selling writer, raconteur, bon vivant, man about town, man about New Hampshire, man about Washington, PJ O'Rourke. Hi, PJ. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Oh, John, it's a pleasure. You're welcome. And thank you very much for having me there.
0: I, I, you know, here's what's interesting. I, looking at our December 2020 issue, uh, for me, it's a, it's really an old home week issue because not only are you in this issue, uh, and PJ, uh, for a while, we lived across the street from each other in Washington, D.C. Uh, n- he lived next to the Washington Zoo, and I lived across from the Washington Zoo, and in the same building, not only, uh, in the same building was our friend Nick Eberstadt, who has also has an article in the December 2020 issue, "America After COVID." So this um, 2020 issue is a is a real reunion of a kind for us uh Living in once living in Northwest DC before the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's how long Be, ago this was. Yes.
1: And also in the same building with Nick and 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 Mary Eberstadt, and me was Andy Ferguson. You should have gotten an article. Who was Andy on and...
0: Andy? Andy was on yesterday. That's oh, right. Perfect. <laughs> that's right. Down the block was Todd Lindberg, who has a piece yes. in the
1: who will have a piece in the
0: in the, in the, in the next issue. And so, uh, you know, um, down the block, up the block from uh, Todd and down the block from me was Ann Coulter. So it was a whole scene there um, uh, in and around and wait, Christine, did you live in the Kennedy Warren? I did Beltway? live in the Kennedy Warren a little later than you guys
2: were there, but That's yes, right. I, and oh, my sister mean. also lived there. Yeah. It's That's kind right. of like the so, Melrose place of, of the Beltway, right? Yeah. it's It's a,
0: it's a spectacularly beautiful art deco, building uh that is now twice the size that it was when when That's when right. i was living across the, the street from it and uh, i lived in a building called 3000 connecticut and what was most interesting about my building was that the front of the building were offices and the back of the building were apartments and the offices were all quack shrinks there were like there was like a Jungian, there was a reichian there was an orgone box there was any and and, there and moment bar. magazine and huh? there was a bar the
1: zoo bar. The zoo bar. The zoo bar. That's I, in fact, right. I yes. met my wife. <laughs> you met your wife at the zoo bar. I met my wife at the zoo bar. A oh, little that more is than the Oxford
0: told, Tavern.
1: Yeah, we um, um, we always told our parents we met at the zoo. You know, we actually met across <laughs> the street from the zoo in the zoo bar. <laughs> See, that is the that
0: is the best thing about the zoo bar, which was in fact a a, a fascinating old time dive. It was very very. Um,
1: low grade,
0: let's low grade. Just say. with, a, low with grade.
1: a sign on the wall that said free beer tomorrow <laughs> oh <my laughs> which Lord. i actually uh. think should be the, the i think that should be the motto of the democratic party
0: there we go <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> So. <laughs> be here tomorrow tomorrow uh, so noah you are i think the only person uh on today's podcast who has never lived in washington dc
3: uh quite by design in fact there you um, go <laughs> yeah done my best to to i mean I, I miss this bohemian atmosphere you're describing but uh yeah I, I try to stay outside the beltway and and maintain that perspective
0: we were, we were not uh, especially bohemian, but I will say that PJ did one, he, I'm sure you have no memory of this, you did one unbelievably wonderful thing for me, which I have displayed to my children. Um, I think in like early 1990, uh, you went, uh, I mentioned the fall of the Berlin Wall, you, I believe, went to Berlin to write about the when when people started taking their the pickaxes
1: I was there that weekend I the the yeah. the, the, the wall opened on uh, at midnight on Thursday night I got on the first plane I could get on and I arrived early Sunday morning while the party was still going on
0: Right and so amazing Yeah and so I think we had New Years together there was some kind of New yeah. Years party or something like that and out of nowhere, you came out of your bedroom and you handed me this little tin. And in the tin was a piece of the Berlin Wall, yes. uh, which you had gotten, you know, during the time that people were taking their pickaxes. Yeah,
1: I, I borrowed a hammer and a screwdriver from somebody. Yeah. I've got a little um, 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 shadow box of mounted little fragments.
3: Yeah,
0: so, so you gave me one of those fragments. I yeah. had shown it to my children. It was, a, it was really an incredibly generous uh, uh, present and so thank you very much from that You're welcome. thirty years thirty thirty years later um, you have an article. this article that you have written your first article for commentary uh, is a uh, is nominally a book review of a of a new uh first volume of two biography i believe is that right well um, it looks or, so, or, is it, or it's full okay
1: yeah. Yeah, of, it's, of, of John Kennedy. F. Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's this one follows Kennedy from birth until um, what is it? Until 1956. So I think that that that, that is a, a promise, or perhaps a threat, <laughs> <laughs> of at least one more volume. You know, I mean, uh, 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 the the professor Loguel. Um, who wrote this, um, I think is, is subtly uh, uh, threatening three. I mean, there'll, there'll be the, the legacy volume to finish it all up. Um, oh, what an experience reading that thing. Um, uh, it took one back and not in a good way.
0: You know, it's funny because there is a long tradition in commentary of skeptical writing about uh, the Kennedys that uh, I, I must say, I'm forced now to make an admission either with interest or against interest, that the the primary chronicler in commentaries pages of the Kennedy family and Kennedyism as it as it came to be known was my mother, uh, Midge Dechter, who is, yes. by the way, uh, still alive and thriving uh, at the age of 93 and a half. Um, but she wrote a series, has written oh, over... Oh, give her my best,
1: th- that's great.
0: Absolutely. So over the years, she wrote five or six pieces. She wrote a piece about Teddy. She wrote a piece about John. She wrote a piece about Bobby. She she um, she really did uh, make a study of this uh, family's role in American society after the Second World War. And uh, I believe your piece is uh, a, a worthy successor. We we called it Shamalot, and um, I think the re- so maybe you can tell people why or what it is about this book that you found so um disheartening let's say Well or what it
1: reminded you what what made you Frederick Logueville is a uh, professor of history at Harvard uh, obviously a learned man uh somewhat wooden prose style but you know we can forgive a, 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 I think he's a Pulitzer prize winning um historian so we can forgive him that and he's really done his homework. This is probably the most detailed biography of, 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 of young John um, that it has ever been done. And uh, and, th- and this is a man that has some like 30,000 books have, have been written about him. So anyway, Logville obviously admires him and um, hagiography is like, you know, what he is attempting here, but he has done too much research and um uh, and bless his heart he um is uh um uh, uh, he's not averse to fact and he puts he, so he's trying to admire kennedy but he puts in so much detail about kennedy's character that you come away loathing the man i mean he was just he was a pig um and his treatment of jackie i mean um uh, he's when when Jackie has a, a miscarriage early in their marriage, John is on a yacht.
2: The Kennedy family
1: decided to, to to tell John that Jackie is merely feeling unwell. Jackie is at her mother's place up in Newport, Rhode Island, and it, it was some Florida congressman who finally went to Jack and said, "You know, you know perfectly well what's going on. Your wife's having a miscarriage. You get back by her bedside right by now, or no woman in America will ever vote for you." And on that basis, Kennedy, um, uh, Kennedy starts an affair with some Swedish aristocrat about a week before he gets married to Jackie. Uh, an affair that would be resumed in the, uh, and when she does have young John, um, uh, their their first child who survived. Um, uh he he she had a terrible pregnancy. He's nowhere to be found, and he leaves to go campaign for Adley Stevenson, um, you know, within days of the birth of the kid. Um for Adley Stevenson? I mean, it would be one thing if he'd left to campaign for Roosevelt or something, you know, but for Adley Stevenson? Does anyone happen to know that, you know, the Stevenson supporters came up with a, a repos to I Like Ike? and it was and this is long forgotten it was we need adly badly well that's you, that's almost as good as build back better <laughs> <laughs>
0: somehow i still don't know what that means build back better i mean you can you can you
1: can't, f- can't, you can't, you can't <laughs>
0: attack the biden campaign they won the presidency but um what on earth was going on there
1: with build I, back uh, better no idea so anyway the, i mean the book just you know Paints quite unintentionally. I mean, just by being factual, it it, it paints Jack Kennedy as a deeply unpleasant person, uh, deeply selfish, uh, 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 no no fixed principles, um, uh, ambitious simply for the sake of ambition, um, and and of course with a god awful family. The father was an unspeakable pig. Um, uh, They're just (laughs) they're just absolutely and and the mother was ice cold and frightening and the siblings, not much better. Um, Joe, Joe Jr. was an anti-Semite. Um, uh, he was a brave pilot in World War II and got blown up for his father. But um, his, his, he is he an admirer of Nazi Germany. He was, a, 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 as indeed was the dad. Dad was a fierce isolationist, also an anti-Semite. Um, the, the mother was like some sort of crazed, uh, belonged to the, she, she wasn't exactly a pious Catholic. She was more like a crazed Catholic. And uh, anyway, and on it goes. Now the puzzle here for me though, which I didn't really get into in the article because there just wasn't room was that I'm old enough. I'm 73. So I'm old enough to have met quite a few people who knew Jack Kennedy Personally, uh, in particular, uh, I was very good friends with and uh, w- with a guy named bill Atwood, who was the uh, wo- who was, had been the publisher of look magazine and who became, who wound up retired as the publisher of the um, what's the long island newspaper newsday, newsday. Yeah. yes yeah he was the publisher of Newsday uh, he had been a correspondent for look magazine in Africa, which was actually the cover for his, he was the CIA bureau chief in Africa. Uh, Kennedy appointed him as the, um, uh, our first ambassador to Ghana when Ghana became inde was the first British colony in Africa to become independent. And Bill Atwood was the ambassador there. And anyway, Atwood was a great guy. Um, and almost became my father-in-law. I dated his daughter for quite a while, and um, I got to know him really well. And uh, I, I, he was an incredibly brave guy. He had he had parachuted behind German lines to help organize the Italian partisans in World War II. He'd been in the old OSS, which is how he got into the CIA. And uh, I mean, he's he's dead now, so I guess we can tell all these tales out of school. <laughs> But at any rate, you know, his loyalty to Kennedy was absolutely unshakable. I mean, there was every—I admired everything about Bill except that, and that's been my repeated experience with guys that age, all gone now. Um, but you know, when I, when I was younger, and I knew the, knew these people. Person after person that I met was just absolutely. Unshakable in their loyalty, so Jack must have had some sort of charm that that Lodval does not capture in the book. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and you know, I'm re- mystified to this. Day. I mean,
0: I mean, it may be that you know these horribly tragic, uh, monstrous early deaths uh, of 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 Jack Kennedy, of of of, um, of Bobby, Robert, yeah. Uh, yeah. help explain. Uh, they did not live long enough to truly disillusion people and their, and the nature of their deaths meant that they were fixed in amber in some sense. Uh, you know, it's funny. Cause there's this piece out uh, in vanity fair this month uh, by Doug band, who was like the closest aide to, to Bill Clinton was his body man. And the uh, during his presidency, and then, you know, basically ran his personal office, set up the Clinton foundation, set up the Clinton initiative um, and you know, basically, was at his side for many years until he started feeling like he was getting elbowed out by Chelsea when she became an adult and wanted to take over the foundation and move in on Doug Band. And Doug Band, after you know, twenty years at Clinton's side, basically now no longer speaks to him. Uh, tells t- tells pretty uh, dangerous tales out of school about him, including that he was in fact on uh sex slave jeffrey epstein sex slave island and stuff like that um all this time that you spend with you know when you were somebody's valet at some point you really can't be a hero to your to to you know as the valet and and that really never happened with
1: with jack or jack
0: or bobby who became these mythological figures yeah and people were very
1: people who knew Bobby are also very loyal to him. And Bobby was a less charming character. Right. Um uh, Bob, Bobby was a, 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 a little political land shark, uh, right from from the get-go. And it also like was sort of his liberal record, such as I mean, calling the Kennedys liberalists. I mean, the Kennedys were simply took advantage of whatever was going, you know, if uh 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 you know if, if old joe kennedy has had his way you know uh the uh america firsters of the 1930s uh, he would have ridden that to uh, public office or public office for one of his sons yeah. anyway um uh, uh bobby i mean bobby had been stained by he was on uh, um, uh senator joe mccarthy's staff uh 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 back when joe was uh uh Chasing your parents, basically. <laughs>
0: yeah. No. So, what's interesting about this, it seems to me, is that all these reckonings that could have happened—JFK's uh, role—I mean, which is not the book. The book predates this, but JFK's role in Vietnam, Bobby's role with with, with McCarthy, Bobby's role as the Attorney General who te- who wiretapped everyone in America who was even right. remotely uh, critical of, of 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 his brother. And all of that, because of the nature of their deaths, um, and because they also, you know, affirm different aspects of, of, of liberal orthodoxy, uh, those reckonings have really only happened on the right, which is interesting, because of course, really, uh, JFK should be should have been a villain of the left. He was a harsh cold warrior. You know, he kept trying to kill Castro. He, he cut really,
1: taxes. He cut taxes.
0: He cut taxes. <laughs> every every everything that you get he was not pretty he was not good on civil rights. No he was very cowardly about civil rights. Like
1: yeah. how he ended up as this icon I mean when, Ike and, was actually yeah. stronger on civil rights.
3: Yeah. yeah. Eisenhower was so strong. in the Biden era, there's an opportunity for Republicans to establish the Kennedy Project. <laughs> 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 really stick it to him.
0: Excellent. So listen, everybody should go read PJ's article, Shamalot, on our website at commentarymagazine.com. And of course, if you are a subscriber, you can read it uh, beautifully in the print edition, which uh, should be uh, at your house uh, today, if you haven't gotten it yet. Um, I'm going to step back for a second and talk to you guys about today's sponsor, Help. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. And obviously that's very important because when people feel that they're in crisis, this time break between the time they seek help and the time they can actually get in to see someone is often you know, t- just too long. It's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it is professional counseling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available that may not be locally available in many areas. Clients worldwide can take advantage of the service. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit its website and read testimonials that are posted daily. Uh, at www.betterhelp.com slash reviews. So visit betterhelp.com commentary. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offers for commentary listeners get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash commentary. Now, PJ, you were talking about your your friend, the the CIA station chief in Ghana, and and of course Kennedy was himself a big uh, aficionado of the intelligence agencies, and you know sent people to to try to blow up Fidel Castro with 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 gimmicky cigars and all of that. There is this amazing story today, this morning, uh, in Axios, a year long investigation revealing a specific. Chinese intelligence project to turn or develop um, spheres of, of influence uh, in California and in the Midwest by, uh, in this case, a single Chinese agent who apparently was both kind of like a community organizer and Matahari at the same time.
1: Yes, and so, like cute cute as a bunny on top of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's yeah. I assume Matahari was was no was no uh you know was right. was, was <laughs> right. no was didn't a looker. look. Like, yeah, yeah, it didn't
1: look like Gertrude Stein, no? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly.
0: Yeah. So um anyway, it is a it is an amazing story, and and uh the, the one na- fascinatingly, the one really openly named official here. I mean there are two, but uh, is uh, former Democratic presidential candidate Eric Swalwell, best known for going on MSNBC and 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 being among the most extreme peddlers of the Trump uh, is a Soviet a Russian agent line, when it turns out that he apparently was either a witting or unwitting, um, you know, agent of some form for the Chinese Communist Party uh, and the Chinese intelligence agencies, or was at least. Somebody
1: whose uh,
0: campaign and political life was hospitable to this person.
1: In this era, our irony overflow. With, and I think we're going to be an irony bathtub <laughs> to, to overflow. The, um, um, what, and the young lady's name was rather ominously Fang Fang. <laughs>
2: Yes, but um, I want to know what she went um, by, Christine. <laughs> yes. Oh, Christine, there you go. Yes. Yes. The new Madahari yes. is named Christine. Yeah. Yes. yes. But like, it yeah. is
0: but it is fascinating to think that we we had there was evidence and and people knew, including Swalwell, who was given a supposed a defensive briefing in twenty fifteen about how he had been targeted by Chinese intelligence, as well as other officials in and around California and, and in the Midwest. And yet the, and they were all Democrats, by the way. From what we can tell, and yet, uh, with evidence of a of a significant effort to penetrate America by the Chinese government, Dem- the Democratic Party went totally ape blank about <laughs> this notion that Trump was a Russian agent.
3: Uh, <laughs> well,
1: Noah, this Tr- is a- Trump was a uh, if Trump was a Russian agent, he was one of the worst agents they ever ran. I must. Uh, i i must say that well
0: you know jonathan Uh, according to jonathan shade yeah according to jonathan shade of new york magazine trump was probably a russian agent since 1987 remember that piece the 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 the, fat uh,
1: lot of good it's done what's happened to (laughs) russia since 1987 (laughs) um yeah Uh, their recruiting standards must be very low um much as i dislike trump you know I, i i i i i sort of draw the line at uh his being recruited by any intelligence agency uh, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, again, our irony cup would run over. <laughs> what uh, struck me about the Fang story, though, is um, it's, <laughs> it's like the uh, uh, the tip of the iceberg thing. I mean, how many of her and hims like that are the Chinese running? In you know Silicon Valley, in particular, I think in the American political system, I think we have a situation here very similar. The Japanese were, were tried a little bit of this uh, before World War II, with some success in um, in in Hawaii. They had pretty good photographs of the of the port there. Uh, but basically, they didn't get too far because I think in those days, a Japanese person really stood out in the United States and it was hard for them to blend in. But the Germans, for whom it was easy to blend in, had agents of influence um, all over the place. I mean, they they they, they, they were running major networks in, in the 1930s. Uh, urging on the sort of isolationist and American first, and also founding German American Bunds in every city in America um, uh, uh, th- that had a substantial German population, uh, they were they were doing their best. And um, you know, fortunately, Hit- Hitler wasn't much of a listener, but they actually had pretty good intelligence on American industrial capabilities and. And and indeed, sort of military stuff. Um, But, and so I'm thinking that she's just one of many. Right. Well, um, the
2: Chinese have been giving tons of money to universities and research centers for, for a, at least a decade. And, and Columbia recently had to acknowledge that it had taken what was effectively CCP funding for one of its programs. These Confucius Institutes have also come under scrutiny. And Dianne Feinstein had her. You take the name
1: totally. there, the Confucius.
2: Yeah, right. That, yeah. <laughs> a little little warning, that a guys. Yeah. <laughs> that
1: that like the right, off. It wasn't called the Mao. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. right. Well,
1: the but, little uh, red yeah. book Foundation.
0: Yeah. And of course you do it's have the lending this, library. Yeah. <laughs> and so th- those are those are universities and 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 political establishments and then of course you have this uh you know massive tr- tr- multi-trillion dollar industry, uh high-tech industry in and around uh Silicon Valley and uh the notion that um the sort of high-end uh, visa status of so many uh, Chinese nationals, in particular, uh, who have been working in and around uh, every high-tech company in Silicon Valley, that, they're, that they are not that they are uh, their hands are clean, and that they are not you know that they are not reporting back. Uh, of course, they're reporting back. The question is, what are they reporting back? How much do we know about what they're doing? This story is it basically dates to 2015. Fang Fang disappeared from the United States, as as uh, as apparently she must have gotten wind that the FBI was onto her, and uh, and hasn't been and hasn't been seen since. But yeah, we have Dianne Feinstein had a Chinese uh, uh, agent in her offices. We've had three or four different arrests of of university professors and, and, and administrators of programs on campus for being, you know, for basically being Chinese agents. And uh, it, it, it makes total sense that this would be the case. They are, are, you know, this is the struggle of the 21st century or the whatever, the confrontation of the 21st century is gonna be between us and China has been, it's we're 20 years into the 21st century. And and here we are, and those of us who have been sort of hawkish about this have faced this uh, dual, uh, you know, this sort of this 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 world of dual uh, skepticism or scoffery, right? There's what what people call the neoliberals who think that you know the world is all one economy and everything, and you know, uh, free trade will liberate the Chinese people and all of that, and uh, the fact that China still doesn't approve sanctity of contract and steals technology brazenly from from companies that that do that build build things in china and all that doesn't seem to matter to them and then that's that's Not one to side. mention
1: building uh concentration camps for uighurs right um you know the, the 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 situation for for people who are ethnically muslim in china <clears throat> is not wildly different from the situation of people who were ethnically Jewish in, yep. uh, in, in the 1930s in, in, in Germany and, and, and German influence and Europe itself. Right. And, uh, uh, there, these are bad people over here. And I, I, I sort of am beginning to feel that, um, um, uh, that we belong to, to um, that sort of lonely Churchillian voice warning, trying to warn the world that, you know, something, something, something wicked is afoot here. Um, I get um, blowback on this, not only from liberals, but from my, my libertarian friends. And I, I, I fancy myself a libertarian, um, um, but, there is a large contingent among the libertarians who still believe you know that China moving into a middle class economy is going to solve all this you know as the ordinary businessmen in China get more political influence, and you know Xi Jinping would seem to be an absolute refutation of that Abe you know um.
0: Uh, but yeah, I think as PJ alludes to, like for the last 25 years or so, there has been a voice on the right saying that China has to be treated as an adversary. Uh, and again, that the weird thing is that is that at the a precise moment at which uh, Americans or American opinion started getting worried about the penetration of the United States by foreign actors, uh, our attention was directed away from the second largest economy in the world with the most uh, repressive authoritarian government in the world, according to some uh, measures, uh, to this kind of catastrophic mess of a country um, run by this uh, tin pot uh, you know this this tin pot dictator um, who likes to poison people with radi- you know with radiation. Uh, devices um, and then
4: who somehow, also yeah. who also spies on us. So the, don't forget that, you, yeah of course the um the Fang Fang story. Um, and by the way, I think you have to call her Fang Fang and not Christine Fang. It's the, the the drama in Fang Fang is yeah we're not buying Christine thing. yeah <laughs> um, um the Fang Fang story reminded me of Anna Chapman. Do you remember Anna Chapman? Oh yeah. She was the uh the 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 attractive redheaded Russian spy. Right. Some, yeah. I think in 2010 or so, mm-hmm. when she was arrested. She was arrested in, in, in New York. Um, but yeah, no, but th- the fact that we have um, shifted our attention away from uh, this very real um, threat and situation is kind of, um, it's an echo of what we were talking about yesterday about the sort of replacement of serious and important news with news that um, can instead, is instead useful um, in, the, um, in the current um, culture war and these trumpification of everything.
0: Right. Noah, um we uh just sort of shifting around a little bit. So the big story in the last uh 12 uh, 18 hours is that um uh, Barack, uh, Barack Obama, <laughs> Joe Biden uh is is evidently on the verge of of appointing General Austin uh as uh, uh secretary of defense and that this is uh um a controversial choice because he has been retired for only four years, and the 1947 National Security Act mandates that no general should run the Pentagon uh, unless he has been retired for seven years. A waiver was given to Jim Mattis when he became Trump's Secretary of Defense, but Democratic officials have said that that was only a one-off, that should only have been considered a one-off, we shouldn't be doing this, we need civilian control. Of the military, uh, uh, I I I don't know how you're feeling about this. I feel like seven years is a yeah is a, was a of, uh, something put into law, you know, seventy some odd years ago. Um, four years still seems to me to be a time in which somebody has been retired from the military. Um, and, uh, and General Lawson is obviously, uh, you know, very well qualified to be, uh, to be Secretary of Defense. Do you think this is going to go anywhere? This assault, this, because uh, this... the criticism is coming from Democrats, Alyssa Slotkin, you have the, the Democratic analyst, Rosa Brooks, various other people who are objecting to this.
3: Yeah, the objections are very theoretical. Um, if Republicans end up controlling the process, I don't suspect they'll uh, mount an opposition. They certainly won't mount the opposition that Democrats would like them to. Um, in part, Jim Mattis's experience in the Pentagon was uh, particularly beneficial, um, from even from the perspective of Trump skeptics. Um, he was a, a, a firm hand on the tiller. And I mean, Democrats have consumed themselves over the last four or five weeks with a sort of a hapless seven days in May scenario. So I suppose it makes a little bit of sense that they're consumed with paranoia over the prospect of um, military leadership at at the Pentagon. But we do have civilian leadership of the military. The president is the commander in chief of the US Armed Forces. Um, That will continue to be the case. Uh, And so their objections strike me as somewhat paranoid. I'm not 100% familiar with the details of this uh, general's career but yeah, I the theoretical done. objections don't strike me as particularly well-founded.
1: I haven't done any due diligence on him, so I don't know whether I support or oppose him as a person. But um, anything that causes the Democrats to quarrel among themselves is good by me. <laughs>
2: well, hey, the, you pro- know, I- the progressives don't like him because he went to work, he sat on the board of Raytheon, defense company. Oh, when he Raytheon. Yeah,
1: yeah, so, you know, right, they, yeah. they
2: didn't like Michelle Flournoy
3: either. Well, we I don't know go. who they like.
0: Well, I think part of the objections that are being raised by Alyssa Sluck and Rosa Books and others are that they wanted uh, Michelle Flournoy and are annoyed that she wasn't chosen. But, you know, we never know why people aren't chosen. I was talking to our friend Tevi Troy uh, yesterday and who, um, you know, helped with some vetting uh, in the George W. Bush administration. Uh, you know, for cabinet, you know, during the transition. And he's like, you see things and you know, well, that person, we can't put that person up, you know, something in the family, a bad stock trade, a kid who has a drug problem, you know, a drunk drive, you know, uh, two drunk driving tickets, you know, stuff like that. So you never know why the people who's the great mentioner are mentioning slow you know fall out of mentioning mentionism and of course those people don't want people to know why
1: and, and then then yeah. there's the whole other side of this which is that that these clearances can be remarkably um um haphazard uh i know a little bit about this because my uh father-in-law um uh, is recently deceased was a career fbi agent and one of his like briefs was security clearances After he retired from the FBI and he had his own detective agency, he would be contracted by the U.S. government to go check people's security clearances. So one of the security clearance interviews that he did was with that professor up at Yale who was accused of killing his girlfriend. I I forget the guy's name, but remember this about 15 years ago. So this is Yale professor. Who's like was the last, you know, the, the obvious suspect? It was, you know, he was clearly Colonel Mustard with the spanner in the conservatory. You know? Yeah. But they couldn't prove it. So Ed, my father in law, goes up to interview him because he had a security clearance for some reason that I forget. And uh, it was time to renew his security clearance. And so he goes up to New Haven and interviews this murder suspect. And I I said, Ed, well, you know, between you and me, what did you give him on the security clearance? He said, oh, he passed the security clearance fine. I said, but he's a murder suspect. (laughs) Ed said, that's not my department. That's not what I'm asking. (laughs) Uh Fantastic. (laughs) I'm asking if he's an agent of foreign influence. Not asking whether he murdered his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the other hand, years ago, when I was editor of the National Lampoon, okay, now there's, there's, there's a, an, an esteemed position uh, in, in the American establishment. I get a phone call when Carter comes into office. I get a phone call about a friend of mine, whose name will go unmentioned, um, who is being considered as a speechwriter and who, in fact, was hired as a speechwriter by Carter. And it's a phone call from the FBI. And they said, your friend X, um, you know, uh, we're we're checking his background. Well, I happen to know that my friend X, his parents were were absolute party members. And... uh, (laughs) And, and that he himself had, uh, while while not being an actual member of the Communist Party, had opinions that were absolutely fully in line with the Communist Party. Well, I wasn't going to rat him out. And I said, oh, he's a really great guy. I've known him for years and years. He's married to a friend of mine. You know, I see him all the time. He's fine. They said, oh, Okay.
4: <laughs> and there it was you go. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, we all have those. I know everybody's got a,
0: everybody who has ever lived in Washington has a story about their, about, about having, uh, being asked, you know, did so and so ever use drugs? No, 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 of course yeah, not. <laughs> of course not. Never, you never <laughs> use drugs. Never. This is why I stayed out of
3: Washington to avoid these compromising positions. <laughs> oh, that's, that's,
0: that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. The other thing that's going on in the confirmation game is, um, is the uh, growing uh, resistance to the nomination of a former Congressman uh, Xavier uh, Javier Becerra as health and human services secretary. And um, there seem to be two cases uh, here or three cases. One of course is this general, really, is this how we're doing this? Like, you know, people say there, need, there needs to be, you know, a uh, Hispanic in a job. So you just throw someone, at a job for which he is clearly unsuited or unqualified like what does he know about you know he was a he was a congressman then an attorney general healthcare has never been his field we're in the middle of a pandemic the job of the health and human service secretary is going to be helping to oversee the distribution of the vaccine and how the va- all that stuff and what does he know about it that's number 1 he likes to sue healthcare companies so that's something <laughs> maybe that people like but um uh, there was also this question of, of of what he is an extreme liberal uh, on social issues and on abortion and things like that. And that, you know, basically, we he may be facing a Republican Senate that is looking for a scalp or two, and this may be the scalp that they want to collect. Well, look, uh, who are
3: they going to replace him with? If there is one inviolable tenant of modern liberalism, it is unfettered access to abortion. Um, that's who, who's the health and human services secretary who's going to replace him, who's more amenable to the social conservative argument on abortion. I, if they've I got that, a scalp right. to draw. If they've got a scalp yeah. that they want to draw some blood from, an in, in out and out ideological zealot in the uh, office of OMB seems to be the better scalp well, you complain. don't. you don't have to just get one scalp. You could have more than one
0: scalp. Oh, but, I don't but, suspect
3: you can. I really no, don't. But, in part because the, just mm-hmm. the political the conditions will not a- allow Republicans to prevent Joe Biden from having the core cabinet he wants, particularly in a pandemic. Second of all, even if you get rid of uh, uh, Sarah, there's going to be somebody behind him who has at, at least uh, his ideological convictions, if not his uh, his uh, zeal. In the uh, execution of the, the the progressive social compact, so I don't I don't see a whole lot of upside for this. Elections have consequences. This may be one of them. Republicans can make a big deal out of this. They can tarnish the administration in the process. Look, Joe Biden floated today the notion that he would create some sort of a position designed to exclusively for the outreach toward conservatives. There would be a White House position. <laughs> Does that, dedicated to reaching out to conservatives. Now, if there's,
1: hey, I may I, I, get a job at the White House after all.
3: Right.
2: So Lincoln so Project will do the right. ads for that.
0: Yeah. The question is how they define how they define conservatives. You know, does that mean that we get invited to the White House? Barack Obama what, yeah. will be
2: doing the outreach. Too. Right. He oh, by the that. way,
3: I mean, no, it means that they know they need to mollify some of this opposition to an extent, but it's it's going to be. Pretty farcical, I would. But imagine. the thing right. is,
2: I, I think this the, this HHS appointment is, is is bad in a way that is is different from Neera Tandon, who's clearly an ideologue at the OMB and will will create a lot of mischief if she's if she's confirmed. This guy really doesn't know how to run an agency, and we had we listened for the last four years to the Democrats in many cases correctly. Chastise the Trump administration not just for its its partisanship, but for its absolute ineptness at doing what a government is supposed to do at the federal level. And this guy strikes me as is is being exactly that kind of pick. He's an ideologue. He doesn't know how to manage or run anything. And a lot of that job is management. And even if you have an extreme, an exceptionally well trained number two, he's going to be the face of an agency that has yeah. a lot of responsibility right now, and he, that could really bungle uh, public trust in the vaccine, which is already not at a high level, thanks to yeah. Kamala Harris and others, you know, right. talking it down. And you
0: know, and you know, I mean, Alex Azar, who was the current uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar worked at the Department of Health and Human Services. He was the Deputy Secretary in the Bush administration. He was the President of, of, of uh, Eli Lilly. Uh, for four or five years, um, he worked for a pharmaceutical trade trade association. Now, there are people who would say, oh, that's terrible. We shouldn't have a pharmaceutical executive running HHS." But does he know healthcare policy? Does he know the workings of the federal government and and the HHS? You you bet he does. And his predecessor, Tom Price, who was sort of run out for for having you know been uh, you know having uh, played fast and loose with money and planes and things like that was a doctor you know he he was also a congressman like so so it's a kind of lost opportunity for the biden administration to put in somebody who is like in some sense either as chrissy as you could say like organizationally unimpeachable or unimpeachable as a matter of credentials in terms of how to do healthcare during a, during a pandemic. And instead, basically, Biden went with a guy he knew from Capitol Hill who's a Hispanic.
1: But, but to-, no, to, I, to co- I, Oh, go ahead, go well, ahead. Well, I was just
4: gonna say, no, but on this point about um, having someone um, you know, responsible in charge who knows what's, what's actually happening. So Biden is covering himself, or at least he thinks he is, in that he is continuing with, he's, he's appointing Fauci uh, chief medical advisor. Right, so that you know gets high praise for everyone. Which, again, though I have to say, is a, is a very strange thing to me because I I'm having an increasingly hard time understanding people who um, think that the U.S. has bungled the response to the pandemic completely, who also worship Anthony Fauci um, and have and have ultimate faith in him and are very thankful that um, Biden <clears throat> is going to. Um, elevate him and uh, defer to him on, on all matters.
2: I mean, there's
3: something, it's it's not a, a good parallel, really, but <laughs> there's something of um, Barack Obama's retention of uh, Robert Gates at defense in 2009 to that, sort of a, an expression of continuity mm, in, the, wow. in the prosecution of the global war on terror, the pandemic being our global war on terror at the moment. I,
0: I I think that I think the answer is contained within the question, which is of course that the idea is that everything bad that came out of the coronavirus response had to do with Trump, his behavior at the press conferences, his refusal to wear a mask, uh, blah 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 blah. But that everybody else, uh, Redfield at the CDC and 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 Dr. Burks and and Fauci and all that, they were all there. Just you know, they were in the court of the Mad King, trying to do good things while terrible things. Uh, were, were, were going on. I mean, the most interesting uh, thing in relation to some of that is this news that Pfizer um, is only making, in the first quarter, will, will only produce 100 million doses of its vaccine, which means vaccines for 50 million people having offered uh, at Scott Gottlieb, who was on the board of Pfizer, who was head of FDA, uh, said this morning that if effectively what Pfizer had offered the federal government was an option to buy the next batch uh, over the hundred million doses, um, because there are two f- uh, facilities that are making the vaccine, ones in Michigan and ones in Europe, and the idea was that they would they would reserve the next hundred million for uh, the federal government for the U.S. government if it wished to, uh, you know, sign an option to buy. And it, wasn't, it didn't have to put money up front, but sign an option to buy, and that the decision was made by the Coronavirus Task Force to bet that uh, the other companies that were involved in Operation Warp Speed, the other pharmaceutical firms, were also going to come online, and that they would they would buy the stuff from Pfizer, they would buy the stuff from Moderna, they would buy the stuff from AstraZeneca, and whatever the other two firms are, and spread the wealth and make sure that there was a kind of Market a, a marketplace uh, where all these companies were being supported, and that's why they didn't do it. And uh, there's going to be there's this whole thing going on where it's like, oh, this was incredibly irresponsible, and you see something happen. Why? Why would this happen? They do such a terrible job doing this. Whereas in fact, you know, it may have been that this was just an effort not to put all their
3: eggs in one basket and one particularly difficult basket and when we're talking about the logistical challenges associated with disseminating this vaccine which needs to be kept at temperatures native to low earth orbit and sending it all over the country it sounds like they made a pretty good bet on companies like moderna that would have a much easier time of transporting this vaccine across the country disseminating it so you know everybody defaults to incompetence which Granted, you can't necessarily dismiss offhand when it comes right. to the Trump administration. Nevertheless, it doesn't seem like a terrible bet to me.
0: No, or you could, or you could say, if they had gone with it, it would be like, oh, well, who's, you know, oh, so now we're just paying Pfizer. Who's fi- You know what? What's the game here? We didn't need Exactly. So, so it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Uh, the choices were made, my general sense would have been that the thing to do would have been to throw every dollar at everything. In other words, like, yeah, Pfizer's going to have another, pay for it, fine, option it, you know, do everything. But, um, but you know, this, this notion that somehow everything was just terrible is so axiomatic to the anti-Trump, mindset and you know i hold no brief for the yeah, way trump and, behaved we're, and we're
1: part of it <laughs> i mean yeah, we're part yeah. of that anti-trump mindset but yeah, yeah but 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 not in this case like not in this case right. but
0: not, you know the, the trump trump is a did not behave well during this pandemic but that <laughs> no. doesn't mean you know but that but this uh but this yeah and uh, take fauci for example so fauci is now going to be the the coordinator as far as I can tell, and I, I genuinely think this is the case, Fauci spent four hours a day being interviewed. Now that's okay. Public relations are all part of dealing with the pandemic. Communications are very important in in terms of dealing with the pandemic, and that's but i don 't what evidence is there that fauci has has his hands dirty with the with the logistics and specifics of the development of the vaccine, the dissemination of information and all that what he is is he is a representative of the be calm, take it seriously, wear a mask da 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 i 'm here don 't panic like that, which is not nothing but it 's not he 's not you know it 's like when you when you think that the that the commercial spokesman you know when you think that like uh, john hausman is smith barney you know it's like john hausman <laughs> isn't smith barney but you know uh, and fauci is more than john hausman who was a paid actor reading an ad but but you know he
1: he's What's not it? hands on he's not the hands-on person well, he's the guy back. who goes on tv we come back to that question of managerial expertise, which is absolutely necessary in this. I just want to loop back quickly because we're kind of coming to the end of the hour to the question of having an ideologue in, at, at Health and Human Services is that on the abortion question, I would like to have somebody there who is front and center on, you know, a, a, a loving abortion a a glorifying abortion because I want somebody to oppose. I mean, I consider abortion, I'm, I'm not actually in favor of making it illegal, but I do consider it to be a really fundamental moral problem. And I think it's about time the Democrats faced up to the fact that this is a serious moral issue and that a society that treats abortion, you know, as if it's a tonsillectomy, you know, or, or 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 toenail fungus or something, you know, has got like some worrisome moral underpinnings or lack thereof, and so I would rather have somebody that um, uh, I can um, um, clearly and freely uh, 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 oppose and, and criticize than have someone who's like does the Hillary Clinton. You know, we want to make them like safe and, uh, and available and infrequent, you know, sort of weaseling.
3: Well, I'm quite sure though that Mr. Becerra will uh, be as, as mealy-mouthed about his uh, support for this institution as Neera Tanden has become. Neera Tanden has become this tame little pussycat when she was a, a vicious uh, ideological uh, combatant on Twitter and in CAP, in the Center for American Progress for most of her professional life, and all of a sudden she has to be confirmed and she's uh, far more timid and she's just like you and she comes from an immigrant family and you know, she's, got, you know, she's a human being, they're all human beings. So I fully expect Mr. Becerra not to be the kind of full-throated advocate for unfettered access to abortion that he probably is in a Biden administration because it's so impolitic. And precisely because it gives you the opportunity, PJ, to rail against him with moral authority
2: it's like Listen, when they dress up the murderer and bring him when it's time for trial and they give him a really nice suit when usually he does not look what do you
1: what do you call a pittsburgh steelers fan in a suit
2: what the,
1: the, the, the defendant, defendant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so PJ work it has been
0: fantastic to have you uh it it's uh been too long for us, and it's certainly been too long for commentary not having you in its pages. And we will, we will seek to to rectify that uh, as as time goes on. And so, thanks again, and for Abe, Christina, Noah, and John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.